Welcome to EG Like Sunday Morning, returning to your earlobe for another season after a summer break uh, and back with a bang with lots to talk about and some of EG's most highly experienced journalists, uh, beginning with senior writers Piers Wayner and Julia Cahill. I, I do, apologies, I do always feel bad introducing you as senior writers, uh, well, but we it is true. we going to change it actually. We, we, we asked Sam if we could just change it to elderly. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> elderly writers um, <laughs> Julia thought that was unfair oh, no. uh, but it is it is it is true that you you have known each other for quite a while haven't you yeah, we've worked together for a really long time actually well with a big gap but yeah we'd have um since we, can we can we put a number on it say I reckon 2004 yes would you go with that Piers I think that's right yeah yeah. Oh wow! So there, that's, there when, a... that's when I joined DG. I think Piers yeah. was 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 there, got there before me. But um, I was already there. I was I yeah. joined in in two thousand and one. Wow! Initially, yeah. and then as Julia said, fled and then came back. <laughs> exactly. And so it sounds like we've got a, we've got a celebration to plan for Julia next year. Then twentieth anniversary. Yeah. Oh, God. We'll we'll have to do a special episode. Uh, so Julie, you'll have to have to let me know which which month is the right one. Um, yeah. So we we've we've been off the airwaves for for a few weeks. How have the summer months treated you both? Very good. good, actually. Yeah. 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 I've been been in um, Northern Ireland last week on the Atlantic nice. coast, which was stunningly beautiful. Yeah, mm-hmm. amazing. Um, lots of fun. And Piers, you know yeah, I had a jaunt down to um, to the south of France, not the not the bit that we usually jaunt to, nowhere near Cannes, mm-hmm. um, but down in the uh, the northern foothills of the Pyrenees and the, the little bit of the Mediterranean there. It's very nice. Uh, but you're both back. Uh, you're hard at work, and we have a, a bumper issue of content to dig into here. So yeah. let's dive straight in. Uh, maybe with Julia first, and and your EG interview with Sir Stuart Lipton and. Uh, it, it seems uh, from from reading through it that that Sir Stuart did not disappoint Julia. No, he he certainly didn't. He's just he's just so brilliant to speak to. Um, you know, he's 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 eighty now, um, and as busy as ever. You know, he's he's involved in in um, some some really sort of um, um, important projects and schemes, and and I guess the kind of the, the sort of the hook for trying to get some time with him was um, uh, knowing that the plans were due to be submitted um, for his project with Heinz, um, 18 Blackfriars. Um, so, you know, we, we were able to talk a little bit about that, um, but also much more um, generally about his ideas about the future of the office. And, you know, he's obviously he's been he's been ahead of the game on on much of, of the issues that developed developers are tackling now in trying to make um, create office space that workers actually want to come and spend time in um, so yeah it was a re- really great to speak to him and anyone who's met him will know he's he's not a man that's ever lost for words <laughs> he's, he's got plenty to say um, and as a journalist it's always it's, it's it's fun talking to him because you know that whatever questions you start out with he's going to come back and answer slightly slightly different ones um, so the, the the chat went in lots of lots of unexpected directions but um, I think probably my favorite snippet was um that that he's a fan of the repair shop bbc's repair shop so it's quite fun to think of this sort of doyen of the development world you know when he occasionally occasionally sits down for a break um you know might watch the repair shop of an evening i think um it was in lockdown really that he he discovered it and um um and uh he was he um 
was chatting to a friend of his at, at the BBC and sort of quizzing him as to why um, there were so many of these sort of programmes um, uh, like the repair shop and sewing programmes, cooking programmes, you know, why do you do all of this sort of programming? And and his friend sort of answered that, you know, this is what people enjoy. And that chimed really well with what um, uh, Stuart was talking about, um, about what offices, you know, what he believes offices need to deliver. You know, they need to... Um, give people something more than um, than a place to work they need to um, bring enjoyment um, to working life um, so um, that chimed very well with sort of um, uh, projects that he's he's working on and, and historically the projects that he's delivered because this has always been very um, a very sort of key part of what he's been trying to do over the years. It'd also make a great programme wouldn't it? Did he pitch that? <laughs> Could, I'd love to see him on it. Like yeah, turning up with yeah. something. Yeah, he could be like the the Alan Sugar figure in a, yeah. a development focused version of The Apprentice. Yes. I think the budget yeah. might be quite high. <laughs> well, how about how about Your changing off this week? Yeah, the raw materials. An entire skyscraper. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, he, clearly, he's, he's he's one for a, a fine turn of phrase. I, I noticed that he. He referred to us having been sort of factory farming ourselves in our in our yes. approach to the yeah, to the office one, over the it? years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, versus sort of free range, and obviously, you know, he thinks that that if if we want to get people back to the office, you know, we've got to, free range has got to be the way to go. Um, and um, he 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 mentioned um, talking about the the Heinz project. Um, that um you know he's he never wants to uh, develop um, a flat-faced building again it's all about creating different sort of facades and bringing more light in and that you can if you look at the designs for um 18 blackfires um which are by foster and partners of course um you know you can you can really see that as this sort of twisted um design to the this tower that the office tower which is almost 200 meters high and um and it's also brick clad rather than the sort of the glass and steel look that um that he and other developers have sort of um have uh specialized in for years um and it, it the idea is to give workers sort of access to green terraces and roof gardens um so yeah it looks it looks like it's going to be a really really stunning scheme um he talked a little bit about what might come on the inside he was quite circumspect about that but um but he he believes that you know we should create sort of lobbies where um, people want to spend time and, and you know, we've seen that very recently at 22 Bishopsgate, just around the corner from our offices. Um, and, you know, he, so he, he'd like to see things like a coffee bar, a newsstand, um, maybe even a florist, um, sort of meeting places where people could sit and, 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 um, and have, have informal meetings and maybe an auditorium so people um, could attend sort of lectures and, and so on. Um, so it's much, just much, much more than, a, than a, an office space. But, um, and also he, he believes that offices should be providing um, other things or social events because we're all social animals and, and you know, there should be much more to coming to work than than perhaps there often is um, in many office buildings. So um, you know he talks about um, uh, opportunities to create sort of sporting events and um, music, different sort of music events to bring people together so that people are getting much more out of out of the experience. So yeah, so it would create somewhere you'd yeah you feel like you would like to work. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think you, you, you talk about how people actually make social connections and make friends and even uh, partners through through work interactions and yes. the importance of that kind of the office to actually are the rest of our lives. Yeah, that's right. He reckons 20% of relationships come from the office. Um, so I'm sure that's that's a well-fine, well-founded statistic. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, yeah going back maybe. to Broadway, he 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 recalls sort of um, chief executives of, of tenants sort of ringing up, ringing him up um, in the early days to sort of complain that you know all their workers are actually outside in the open. Um, public space of enjoying themselves and shouldn't they be at their desks but his obviously his his take on it is you know that work is very demanding um and and hours are long and people should you know be able to get much more out of of the places where they go to work it sounds to me very much like a follow-up feature for one of you to tackle the uh, the, the 20 percent of relationships start in the office i think uh that could, yeah. be, could be an interesting one for you to dig into <laughs> we need a good survey don't we for that <laughs> <laughs> end in the office as well oh yeah <laughs> I yeah think, um, i love talking I, when you were saying about talking to Stuart lipton and and the um just just how much you get out of him i think that was always the the issue that i always had was never that that you don't get something you get too much i mean trying to just yes. carve down what you get from speaking to him into a single feature i mean that must have been impossible because mm-hmm. it's uh, the first time I spoke to him, you know, going back to when we first worked together, Julia, um, the first time I spoke to him way back then, I remember I went there with a a, a little, uh, I think I had my tape dictaphone and I had my notepad and the dictaphone wouldn't work. So I was just trying to sort of, you know, keep up with my shorthand. Thankfully, he doesn't speak too quickly, but still, I mean, by the end of it, I, I had sort of such severe writer's cramp. And I think it just, it just, I might as well have just been like doodling. It looked like nothing. Oh, well, I, yes, I've had similar experiences. Yeah. And you just don't want to miss a, a single bit. Um, yeah, it was definitely, definitely one of those. And actually we, we did end up speaking um, several times um, over the course of a few weeks um, just to go, to go over things. And yeah, you're right. You absolutely, you're not, not sure what you're going to get out of it. And then there's just so much more. Um, and he's, he's just one of those brilliant sort of developers that, you know, obviously commercially he's so astute, um, but he also has that sort of, you know, that passion for architecture and then the, the creative side, which is, is, really great um but when i asked him about well who you know who pays for all this stuff in in buildings to make them sort of desirable places to come and work and you know and he he was quite clear that it's got to be you know the employers um the employer as in the tenants sort of decision to go for um to go for free range versus factory farming um but he pointed out that of course you know that the occupiers will need less space because the landlord is putting in all these amenities um, and so so employers um, actually can take less space than they might otherwise. They don't need restaurants or gyms. You know, they, they those are provided within the building. So, um, you know, it, it, he, he believes that it stacks up. It's a great site as well, that, that 18 Black Pearl site. That's the Black Pearl site, isn't it? That's the, the one. Yeah. 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 Which, I mean, is, yeah. is there anything in the architecture that sort of harks back? Because I remember that's the going you know going back before it was just this this development site that never quite happened that it was um way back when it was the uh, it was a sausage factory i think like one of its earliest uses was a sausage factory so i, I was i was looking at all of the images thinking is, is there a sausage in there have they echoed a sausage i think you can see sausages 
Um, there's something that used to be like there's some sort of meeting uh, space there, like way back, sort of centuries back, um, for some sort of radical group, and they have kind of tried to um, take that on. I think it's called maybe called the rotunda i'll have to check that but um there's some sort of like the public space in the middle of it all it sort of harks back to that um so yeah they've definitely they're trying to channel channel some of the the history i think meanwhile pierce uh you've also been touching on on a one of the hottest topics around that, that may well have a profound impact on the future of the office and quite possibly the extent to which relationships are formed within it and mm -hmm. AI uh, peers yes. yes so uh, what is the latest that you found on how artificial intelligence can transform real estate and uh, how long do we have before EGLSM is solely being put out by computers using recordings of our voices well, I, I actually am just a, 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 a product of generative AI. I have been for some years, actually. I've been <laughs> cutting edge. Um, yeah, your, your entire well, comeback has, has been has been just just AI, hasn't it, Piers? Oh, yeah, yeah, using, no, using digital, <laughs> digital cuttings from your previous stint. Exactly. Yeah, I'm. Um, that, that's why I've got that slightly weird sheen to my face. That sort of uncanny valley thing going on. Um, yeah, this was a this is a piece that was looking specifically at generative AI because I started off thinking, right, I want to do a piece on AI, mm. and then realised that actually the applications of AI in real estate are now so huge and so broad, there isn't a single part of of the the industry, the business, the sectors that isn't touched by this. I mean, if you look at um, CBRE, for example, has been slowly building up how it's using AI in um, in its facilities management. And it reached um, a considerable milestone, which I mean, actually, I, I don't know how if you've re read closely the piece yet, but um, but where where do you think that milestone is of square foot that they have, are now the FM is being uh, done using uh, an AI platform? Mm. I don't know. Uh, I are we talking in percentage terms, or what, what are we talking? Oh, no, about? just just in pure numbers. In pure oh, it's numbers. Oh, it's, it's, a mean it's a huge number. It's a yeah. billion square foot. They've got a billion square foot that they oh. are. The, the FM is basically AI led. Um, so that's that's, that's the penetration that we've got. I mean, AI is now being used because AI is any. The broader way of looking at it is it's almost any form of machine learning. It's anything that where you've got um, that sort of computational power where you've got the the high number of flops. Um, which is Julius brow just creased in a wonderful way, which I was entirely <laughs> hoping for. So I can I can mansplain flops. <laughs> flops is I'm going to get it wrong. It's flops is floating operational points per second, which is basically how many maths you can do per second. And if you are some sort of extraordinarily skilled mathlete with a brain the size of Uruguay, then you can do about one flops, one of these um, calculations per second. So um, Oppenheimer probably probably one flops. Oppenheimer maybe two. I mean, maybe I, two flops. I mean, do you, do you think he could do? He could possibly, possibly <laughs> even more. I mean, uh, who knows? Who knows? Let's let's say let's say Oppenheimer is a. So two if we're saying right? Oppenheimer is top of the flops, um, he's top of the flops. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but compared Barbie, to Oppenheimer, two as well. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking, but. You know, for our other summer blockbusters, I'm I'm thinking that for Ethan Hunt, probably just a one flop man. Um, <laughs> Indy, 
probably one point uh, seven five. I don't know. I mean, okay. it's just a slower brain. No, so humans are around one flops, but um, a laptop is about a. Uh, or when we're getting to into AI, then we're in a quintillion flops, which so is much you, bigger than one. It is one much bigger than one. It's 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 still a one, but then with I think it's fourteen zeros. Um, so that's the sort of computational power, and then you're looking into the realms of, of of AI. So all of this this stuff is is being used everywhere. And then within that, we've got generative AI. And generative AI is something slightly different in that. And again, most of our listeners probably know more about this than than I ever will. But um, it's the ability to harness that to then create algorithms um, that allow uh, these this AI to combine its data, to combine what it feeds on, and to appear to create, to appear to generate. And most of these things like ChatGPT um, or the the um, the visual generation software that's being used increasingly by architects um, and also by board people like me. Um, the for things like ChatGPT, that started simply trying to find an algorithm that would complete the sentence. So they wanted to find something that, and you'll see this if you if you look at a Word document or an Outlook document, mm-hmm. Microsoft has, has now installed it onto your computers. Um, you'll see it it tries to finish the sentence for you, and that was what it was intended initially to do. And then they realised that as soon as you teach something to work out where a sentence is going, you've essentially taught it how to combine words into thoughts. You've taught it how to appear to think. And then you get generative AI sort of leaping onward from that. So the point that we've got to now, I mean, most people have played around with GPT-3, um, GPT-3.5, GPT-4 is out there now um, if you want to pay for it. Um, and you can give it a series of prompts and it will you know, produce an article. Did it produce this one? No. I bloody tried. And I don't know. I mean, I think my prompts either aren't good enough or I need a bit more practice or maybe there are limitations to its power or maybe I need to pay the $20 a month and upgrade to GPT-4. But uh, no, it's it's not quite there yet. Um, but it is extraordinary. And things like marketing materials, we're increasingly seeing real estate companies do their marketing materials on this. We're seeing the uh, the top agencies are using this to, to generate an awful lot of ways that they can process data. But within that, the problem is that these, so let's just take ChatGPT for, ex- for an example. So GPT-3, 3.5, what it's done is it's trawled the internet and its point of stopping was uh, about 2021. Um, And it's basically eaten the whole internet and it then regurgitates it in these remarkably clever ways. Uh, The problem is it is what it eats. Mm. So you get two slight problems. One is that it it can't create enough. So it's it's restricted by what it's got. So that's that limits and also taints the information. The second thing is that it's too creative. So the other thing that it does is in the same way that it would logically complete a sentence, it also tries to logically fill in gaps. So there are famous examples of these things they call hallucinations, which is um, tech bro speech for making stuff up. Um, And what what happens is if, for example, you ask 
it's it's getting better but you there was a point where you could ask chat gpt to to give you a list of five folding bicycles um that cost under 100 pounds and even if there were only three it would make up two more because you asked for five <laughs> it's now got to the point where it says oh i can only find three because it's learning it's learning mm. all the time and all this is incredibly useful. So if, if you think that that real estate, I mean, as as, uh, as Julia was saying, you know, um, that real estate's all about people. It's all about interactions between people. Our offices are about interactions between people. But it's also about spreadsheets and it's about data and it's about, you know, those brochures. It's, it's it's information, information, data, 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 and how you present that. This is another incredibly powerful way of crunching that and combining it to the point where those problems of where does the data come from, which is a big issue, and um, you know, how accurate can you ensure that it is, and, and so on, has led to people like JLL coming up with their own GPT, which prioritizes its data that is, they've built it from the ground up. They've It's a remarkably sophisticated tool, and Yael Morin um, at, at JLL was talking to us about this. Um, about how they're, they're using it. And it's just early days, but they see this as being pretty much revolutionary, uh, generative AI. And that backs up the findings of McKinsey, um, who said in a, a recent study that they did, uh, I think from last month, that generative AI alone, so not AI, but generative AI alone, will add about 1.7% to the global value of commercial real estate every year, which is about $180 billion. And when you stick construction onto that as well, which is another $150 billion, you know, add a couple of billion here, a billion there, you're suddenly talking, it's, it's real money. Um, but they're saying that, that we will see across all industries that generative AI's impact will be the equivalent of adding the economy of Great Britain every year. Yeah, now, it's mind blowing. If none yeah. of that made sense, then my apologies. I was just reading a script that Chat GPT wrote for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think you explained some... that brilliantly. I yeah, yeah. I'll probably get I... complaints about the fact that I've got it wrong or I've made it up. Um, in which case, uh, I'm sorry. I, I scraped the internet in 2021, and that's. <laughs> um, but some but of the, the visual stuff is extraordinary as well. So I'm just going to say because mm. there was one brilliant one. Um, I mean, people, you know, if you play with Mid Journey or there's a, another one, X Cool or Look X. Um, you can find that there are lots of other ones. You can find these visual ones where you can put in, um, so GPT-4, you can now put in a visual prompt and it'll come up with a textual response or vice versa. But these ones with visual prompts, um, which architects are playing around with a lot and developers when they're trying to come up with concept ideas, um, you can do things like scrunch up a piece of paper, get your computer to, to look at it through its little webcam camera. Um, it then works out not just in some of the more sophisticated ones, not just it takes the shape and it turns it into something that looks a bit like a building. It can work out the um, with uh, uh, XCool. They claim that they can work out a, a costed, fully costed um, engineered design based on having a look at that bit of paper and saying, sorry, what style do you want? The Corbusier? Oh, yeah, sure. There you go. Uh, Gary? Fine. There you go. Uh, Stuart Lipton in his pomp, ta-da, you know, brilliant. They can, 
it can do it and then you can tweak and it takes less time for it to do that than it takes you to screw up the bit of paper in the first place and that's just mad because of the quintillion flops it's amazing and to think that when we were first writing about real estate we used to sort of think that the industry was a little bit reluctant a little bit sort of behind in the on in tech terms but it's yeah it's amazing the way it's sort of that is the old adage isn't it that we we, we still think of um well we still talk about ourselves as being a sort of dinosaur industry and Mm. we're a bit behind the curve and i think you know we are compared to maybe cutting edge of finance or whatever but when i mean as you you know from talking to someone like Stuart lipton that actually age is no barrier the people who have always been at the at the leading edge of of development at the leading edge of, of agency consultancy or whatever they're using this stuff mm. and that because they always have you know they've always used whatever they could get their hands on to to improve and i think that's the thing that the industry does really well is that it, it grabs whatever is going and uses it might mm. take a bit of time but it gets there that gives us a nice lead in peers uh, the, the exciting possibilities uh, provided by this this industry as we embrace the future uh, because this week also saw the launch of eg's starting out in real estate supplement um, a special information packed publication aimed at 16 to 20 year olds uh, which brings together voices from across the industry uh, in a bid to show young people the breadth of opportunities that a career in the sector has to offer and um, having masterminded the whole thing uh, my hard-working colleague sarah jackman has taken a well-earned holiday but I spoke with her in advance uh, about the project that we have affectionately taken to calling Soiree for short. So, Sarah, what can you tell us about how Soiree came to life uh, and what the mission statement was for this special? Thank you, Jess. Um, it's really lovely to have an opportunity to talk about this. It's been a long time in the planning, as as you know. Um, Soiree, uh, otherwise known as starting out in real estate, really came to life. A few months ago, I think we wanted really to expand on what we do in the professional space. We have our Mainly for Students column, which has been running for many years, uh, which very much goes out to the undergraduate audience, and our APC series column, which is very much aimed at people on the APC pathways. Um, But we were conscious, actually, that there was probably a bit of a need to reach out to people who are at school, who are perhaps thinking about what education choices might come next, um, what training opportunities might be, and really, could real estate be a career for them? So we wanted to try and break down some of the barriers and wanted to try and perhaps shine a light on the myriad opportunities that exist within the industry and to really bring that to life with people's stories. So how did they get into the industry? What did they do? What paths did they take? Do you need a formal qualification? So just really trying to look at um, some of those sort of practical um, steps into the industry to give people a really good flavour of what it is and what the possibilities are. And then to look at some of the soft skills that sit around that. So, for example, I know you picked up on one of the topics, networking. Um, We've produced a piece on gaining some work experience and the value of that. So really just looking at some of the sort of practical things that sit alongside it. 
And I think it's it, so there's a sense that this, this kind of thing hasn't really been sort of properly brought together before. And there's a, there's a sense that uh, particularly when we're talking about people in schools, they don't really hear about real estate. They're not told about real estate and they, they don't know those opportunities are there if they just sort of look for them. I think that's right. I mean, one of the things that, that comes up quite a lot when when I've been speaking to people is, you know, this sense that there are quite prominent um, careers that that are given quite a lot of coverage. Um, you know, things like law, things like medicine, accountancy, but real estate and the built environment more generally, I think has probably been underrepresented in terms of the amount of information that has been available for people at school age when, when thinking about possible future careers. So I think one of the aims here is to really shine a light on that. There are so many amazing careers that exist within the built environment. Um, and just really to give people some understanding of that and, and signpost their next steps, really, you know, if they are interested in potentially exploring further, you know, where can they turn to next? What would be the next steps for them? So for anyone listening uh, who is thinking of exploring a career in real estate, or, or perhaps more likely, uh, anyone listening who who knows a young person uh, who might benefit from some of the information contained in in the starting out in in real estate, uh, what can they expect to read in in soiree? Can you take us through just a few of the highlights? Of course. So I think one of the really visual things that I think gives a brilliant insight into the range of possibility is our day in the lives. Um, we've got 19 different uh, day in the lives and career insights, people talking about their own stories, how they got into the industry, how they first became aware of it, the education choices they perhaps pursued, um, the work experience that they gained, and then what they actually do day to day. You know, what is it that a quantity surveyor does? What is it that a property lawyer does? So just trying to give a bit of a flavour of those careers. So I think that's a really nice sort of visual element to it. Um, we've got some Q&As with some industry leaders. So I think that's really nice just looking at their careers, their development um, and some of the things that, um, they've done and achieved in terms of um, their time in real estate. And then I think looking at some of the soft skills pieces, there's some really nice practical information pieces. So for anyone um, thinking about real estate, just some um, practical pointers in terms of how you might get insights. We've got a piece on dressing for success. So some really nice tips from stylists brilliantly written I have to say Jess <laughs> for anyone <laughs> That's right. uh, dressing for success and networking uh, two things I know absolutely nothing about uh, but uh, fortunately I, I did have the benefit of speaking uh, to experts in that field who have shared their tips which are far more valuable than any advice uh, that, that a young person would get from me certainly uh, and there's there's quite a lot I know reading it and, 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 and proofreading it it's been quite interesting to read about um, the apprenticeship opportunities that have opened up now that really are sort of casting the net a bit wider and, and offering a, a much 
and greater range of, of young people the opportunity to, to enter the profession without what can be quite a, a costly outlay in terms of university education. Absolutely. Um, so we do take a look at apprenticeships and the range of schemes that are now available within the industry. And it's brilliant to see how they've grown over the last decade alongside graduate schemes. Um, so I think for anyone who is keen to enter the industry, possibly rather than going into full time education, but still wants to gain a qualification or for people who um, don't necessarily um, want to take on the financial outlay of, of full time uh, education. It's a really, really nice option to consider. And they exist across all different pathways and different areas of the industry. You know, we've, we feature case studies from people who are working on um, apprenticeship schemes We've got someone, for example, who is undertaking an apprenticeship scheme at the valuation office agency. So an example there of somebody doing it in the public sector space. Um, we also feature somebody who has done an apprenticeship in rural surveying. So you can see just two very different sorts of apprenticeship schemes. And then you know, there's a whole raft of others in between. So I think that has been, you know, a real success over the last few years and, and something that we shine a bit of a light on here. I imagine you yourself have learned quite a lot uh, working on, on this supplement. It's been fascinating, actually. I think there's such a range of initiatives available now. And um Goodness, if I if I was 17 again, perhaps I'd be looking at it thinking that I might explore a career in real estate as well. But um, but yeah, certainly an awful lot there for people to think about. Well, uh, you're, you're well placed writing and editing about real estate. So it'd be a, a shame to lose you from that that part of the industry to to a different <laughs> sector. Um, so just on a practical level, where can people get hold of, of starting out in, in real estate, either in physical form or online? Thank you for flagging that, Jess. Um, <laughs> we're really keen that this goes far and wide and um, be delighted for as many people to read this as possible. So I guess um, for anyone listening today who perhaps is going out into schools, um, we do have a link to the digital edition available. Um, and not only is that available as a traditional link that you can click through, we've also got a QR code where perhaps if people are at a careers fair or they're doing a talk somewhere, People, if they are interested, can come along, they can scan it, it will open up on their tablet or device and they can go away and read it at their leisure. Brilliant. Sounds good. Hopefully as many people as possible will do exactly that. Um, many thanks, Sarah, for running through this soiree special with us and well done for bringing it all together in one place. Thank you. And thank you for your amazing contributions because I know you've worked really hard on it too. That was the incomparable Sarah Jackman, uh, who I believe, Piers and Julia, you have both known for roughly the same amount of time as you have each other. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, more, as well as... Great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
uh, as well as all those uh, features that, that, that Sarah outlined, uh, Julia, you, you made your own contribution to Soiree, uh, looking at the earning potential on offer in real estate, which which can you know boggle the mind a little bit itself, can't it? Yeah, that was, it was interesting actually to find out a bit more about um, a particularly sort of early early um, stage sort of careers, um, what you could expect to, to be paid and. Um, and it, yeah, it compares really favourably with um, law and accountancy. I thought that was quite an interesting jumping off point because um, obviously, you know, if if you're if you're um, at university, those might be sort of other areas that you are mm. considering as well. Um, but also the, yeah, just the, um, I mean, we know this sort of writing about it um, all the time, but just it really brought home to me the the sort of the vast range of, of careers out there um on offer in really different types of company you know across sort of finance development management public sector private sector you know um the world's your oyster really if you're if you're interested in in the um in the sector and um yeah and and the money's the money's not bad so <laughs> it's worth, definitely worth looking at <laughs> so uh, starting out uh, in real estate is to, to borrow the words of our esteemed leader Sam McClary, our gift to real estate. So please do use the uh, click on the link um, that's going to be in the description of this podcast and share it with young people far and wide. Um, and we can only I've really given my, I've, I've given my copy to my daughter. I mean, she's eleven, Excellent. which is a bit below where we <laughs> but, we've ended. You know. But she's very bright, and also I really needed to get out and start earning some money. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can only end really by asking Piers and Julia for their own wise words for the next generation who are starting out in real estate. So what what sage advice do you have to offer? Say, uh, Julia, why don't you offer some some words of wisdom? Oh, gosh, I'm going to borrow from my 11 year old, actually. She was her mantra is do things that you love. So mm. find find that passion, whether it's yeah, whether it lies in real estate. And also, there's there's a lot to love in it. I mean, again, I'm I'm going back to your your Stuart Lipton interview that you know he's he's 80 and still doing it because he loves it. Yeah. Because he absolutely loves it. And I think yeah. there's, there's there's so much that it's it's such a broad and um, textured industry that there is, you know, you can always find a niche that where you can play to those strengths that you have and play to your interests and play to what what makes you brim full of that mm. yeah and I think a lot of the employers now as well are just so much more aware of that that um people coming potentially coming into the industry are you know looking from um for companies that that sort of that do more that look at social impact as well so if that's something that interests you as a young person there's there's so much sort of scope for that um as well and peers I imagine um learn how to prompt uh, yeah, generative exactly. AI software uh, as, as best as possible. It's probably that's it, kids. The robots are coming for your jobs. You just <laughs> got to learn how to talk to them. That's that's all you need to know. <laughs> no, I think I think in spite of all of that, I think the thing that that I would say is as my bit of advice to anybody who wants to get into the into the industry is that regardless of the fact that it is going to be run by robots, um, and regardless of the fact that it loves a spreadsheet, um, is that it is it's a it's a people industry and it's um and even if you're not a people person um the fact that it's a people industry means that you will always be able to find somebody to ask questions of and somebody to help and somebody to mentor you and i think that that as an industry it's 
it's remarkable in that the generosity of people helping those who are starting out is, I think, unparalleled. You know, I can't think of a single person that I've met in the industry who hasn't been generous of their time, who hasn't been eager to to share what they know. Admittedly, they'll keep some back because you know it's proprietary information, but um, to share what they know with with people of a younger generation or snooping journalists, for that matter. Um, <laughs> I think I think that that thing of of always asking questions. Um, firstly, because people want to answer them, and secondly, because there's no such thing as a stupid question, and uh, you know I think we prove that every day. <laughs> I, I I certainly try and prove the opposite every week on uh, EG Light Sunday morning. But uh, <laughs> thank you uh, to Piers, Julia, for for being so generous with your time, and for Sarah as well uh, for for joining me. Um, we'll be back next week for another EG Like Sunday morning. <laughs>